Hello guys and welcome to the Peaks and Valleys podcast. On this podcast, we talk coffee, culture, and mental health. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kyle Ridgely. What's up guys? My name is Kyle. So glad you're joining us and I hope you enjoy this episode. is up peaks and valleys fam um welcome to another episode of the peaks and valleys podcast um we are so glad to be back with you guys um jump on another episode i'm your host jonathan coggins and i'm joined by my co-host the one and only mr kyle richley what's up today on the podcast we have a um a guest for you guys um reached out to her through um, social media after following her for a little bit. Um, and she graciously um, said yes to, to coming on with us and having a conversation um, specifically about um, the LGBTQ community within the church, within broader culture, how really, um, so how we can really just start humanizing um, and caring for LGBTQ people better within the church and without the church. And so we're going to be talking about some of that, some, you know, some mental health disparities and how we as Jesus people should care about that. So with that, I'll, um, Bridget, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit. Um, you know, share, share who you are, um, what you do, really what, whatever you want to share with our our listeners. Yeah, well, um, hi, everyone. My name is Bridget Eileen Rivera, and I uh, um, have a book coming out this October called Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. And um, that book uh, unpacks a lot of the issues in the church surrounding the mental health issues that many in the LGBTQ Christian community struggle against. Um, uh, especially the uh, one thing that's really interesting, um, a couple years ago, a new study came out showing that uh being heavily involved in your faith significantly reduces the likelihood that you will attempt suicide. But for LGBTQ people, being heavily involved in your faith actually increases the risk of suicide, um, which is astonishing that religious involvement would decrease suicidal suicidal ideation in almost every demographic except LGBTQ people. Um, and so that's um, kind of a lot of what I talk about on my platform. I do a lot of advocacy for LGBTQ Christians in the church, kind of just bringing awareness to uh, the reasons why LGBTQ people um, struggle so much when it comes to mental health in the church, um, to the point where being a Christian 
could make an LGBTQ people more, an LGBTQ person more likely to die by suicide um, when that should not be the case. Being a Christian um, and taking your faith seriously should improve your life, should make it better, should um, make you more able to be the best version of yourself. Um, and for so many LGBTQ people, that's just not the case. And so I do a lot of advocacy on that issue, talking about why that is um, and what churches can do to change that. Awesome. That's that's incredible, Bridget. That's some um, just, I mean, phenomenal work that that we need in the church. You know, we need your voice and that voice um, really. um helping us understand those disparities and, and, and from your perspective that, you know, I identifies as LGBTQ and like really kind of, you know, understands this community because, you know, you, you identify as part of the community. And so thank you for, you know, putting out that resource and, and, you know, being, being a voice to, to help us do better, you know, to help us be better and care for the LGBT, um, community better um i'll hand it over to kyle to really kind of start a conversation on on some points to discuss sure uh, first of all i want to say we appreciate uh you being willing to to share your voice here on this uh, platform um, i do believe that a lot of our listeners will appreciate this perspective and uh, so to start it off i just want to uh, wait can i can, can i say one other thing that i that i forgot to say that i i have to say this okay. i have to say this for anybody listening, just kind of lay a foundation. Um, for anybody listening, whether you land on, you know, an affirming side or a non-affirming side, or, you know, whatever, to kind of, as you're listening to this particular episode, kind of lay that down for right now and just lean in, listen in, and understand that, um, whether whichever side you land on or, you know, whatever your bend is on this conversation, this is, this is again, coming back to, this is to help us know how to, you know, and be resourced, have the tools to care for LGBTQ community people, you know, when that, when that, when they're that within that community better. And so, yeah, I, I just hope this, this just gives, again, gives you some encouragement, some tools um, some points that, you know, Bridge is going to share with us to say, hey, like we need to, and this is how we can, as Jesus people, love and care for LGBTQ people better, you know. Um, so ju ju just wanted to kind of lay that uh, foundation because I know there are, there are sides to this conversation often. Um, and so hoping we can lean in and kind of, for the time being, forget those and say, hey, like in general, we, we just need to do better on this conversation. So, sorry. That's all right. That's a very good perspective. And uh, yeah, just accept uh, what we're saying as us learning uh, from this, learning from both sides, being more transparent, being more open about this conversation because LGBTQ community, they're people, they're made in the image of God. And so we mm -hmm. as Christ followers should in every respect love everyone including lgbtq community and so to start it off uh bridget what historically have you seen uh how the church has handled this particular conversation um particularly to the lgbt commu 
TQ community. Um, and where, where have you seen that grow and transform into today? Um, how, do, mm -hmm. how do we see some things that have, have carried over to today's uh, church? Well, um, that's a hard question to answer because it's kind of like, where, where do we start? Um, how yeah. far back do we want to go? Um, I mean, really, you kind of have to go all the way back to Freud and uh, the concepts that he really developed. That's really where a lot of current modern day discrimination began. Obviously, discrimination against queer people has been an ongoing historical problem throughout world history. But if we want to talk about the current manifestations uh, in the West, especially, you got to go back to Freud and understand some of the concepts that he developed. So um, Freud uh, believed that um, that heterosexuality was the normal end of human development. And it comes about through this process in childhood where the um, child learns to identify with their same-sex parent um, and direct their attention and their love for the opposite-sex parent um, away from them and towards another member of the opposite sex. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, you know, very inadequate summary, but to put it as simply as possible and summarize it as quickly as possible, that was uh, Freud's understanding of sexuality, that heterosexuality is the norm for human development, not even the norm, but the correct end for human development. Uh, and sexual perversion develops whenever uh, this process within childhood development goes awry in some way. Um, it's where we get the term arrested development from. Uh, and so this is where the idea um, of homosexuality, as we understand it today, really originated uh, in Freud's belief that homosexuality arises when uh, children fail to identify with the same-sex parent. Uh, and he believed that this typically happens because of some kind of trauma in the child's life, uh, some kind of, you know, per perhaps sexual trauma or perhaps a terrible relationship with their same-sex parent. Um, and uh, for these reasons, the child fails to develop heterosexually. Uh, and develops instead um, as a homosexual. That was his whole conception. And so that led to a whole era um, in the West where um, homosexuality was medically pathologized as this psychosexual disorder. Um, it's just this problem in people's brain um, and medical practitioners in particular really just kind of latched on to these theories and believed that they could find a cure to homosexuality. And um, it led to um, some horrific, horrific practices because at the same time that this was, you know, going on, uh, we had social Darwinism that was big. And 
um, that led to um, just atrocities during World War II. Um, gay men were uh, or rounded up by the thousands and put in concentration camps uh, and experimented upon, um, lobotomized all of these different things to try to find cures for homosexuality. Uh, and little known, a little known fact is uh, that when um, when uh, the when World War II ended. And uh, the allies came in and, you know, freed everyone from the concentration camps. Uh, Gay people were the only demographic of people that were not freed, um, that uh, were put back into prisons, even when everybody else was going free from the concentration camps. They were put back into prisons after World War II and continued to be brutalized um, and experimented upon. So that's kind of the origins is this medical pathology, this way of thinking about homosexuality as this, like something went wrong with your childhood development somehow. Um, and Christians also really latched on to this way of thinking about homosexuality. But it's interesting because, because Christians also um, had this, you know, religious kind of um, approach to understanding homosexuality, um, this, you know, religious approach kind of married uh, the Freudian approach and created this really weird um, understanding of homosexuality that, understood it as both a product of sexual trauma or negative relationships with your parents and sin in your life that needed to be repented of. And so it was both. Mm. Um, it was both. It was not only like you were psychosexually messed up and inhuman, but you were also sinful, inherently sinful and needed to repent. Mm. Um, that like, and it's not just something psychosexually went wrong, which is, you know, a bad enough way to think about it, but also something in your spiritual development has gone awry. And therefore um, you have been cursed with this thing known as homosexuality, um, which then that led to the ex-gay movement. Uh, the ex-gay movement was completely founded on um, Freudian beliefs about human sexuality um, and you had uh, young uh, teens, young adults being taught that the reason why they are gay um, is because um, they had a ter terrible relationship with their mom or their dad, even though they didn't. Um, but, you know, they were taught that they did. Um, so, you know, a lot of teens like the X game. Ex-gay ministries ruined relationships for a lot of um, gay people with their parents because they were told that their parents were terrible. Um, and, uh, you know, there were other just kind of weird things that were done, um, uh, really mistreating um, queer people, telling them that they were inherently sinful, that there was something inherently wrong with them. Um, and that God didn't love them unless they could uh, figure out how to become heterosexual, because that is the way God intended to create them, um, which, again, goes all the way back to Freud, who believed that heterosexuality was 
the way that humans ought to be. Um, And so Christians got a hold of that and they said, well, heterosexuality is the way God intended humans to be. Um, And it created this whole context where queer people um, were these inherent perversions of God's creation um, that were um, messed up, inherently sinful, and the only way to um, please God and achieve human normalcy in some way was to become heterosexual. Um, and it just, it led to just awful, awful outcomes. It, it did not work. Um, there, um, it's ex-game ministries um, and the techniques they use known as conversion therapy have been shown in study after study to not work um, and to increase the risk of suicide for young teens by as much as 500%, um, which is astonishing. And uh, um, the, the leading ex-game ministry, Exodus International, folded in 2013, I believe that's the date. Um, and so a lot of people have this conception of, of conversion therapy of ex-gay thinking as no longer being present. But in fact, um, it's extremely, it remains extremely influential in the way Christians think about queer people. Um, when I first tentatively came out to my pastor, um, this would have been, oh man, I'm getting my dates wrong. This probably, I guess this would have been in 2014. I first tentatively came out to him. The first question he asked was, what's your relationship like with your parents? Um, and uh, most people that I know have stories like that. Most ga- most queer people that I know have stories like that, asking if they've been a victim of sexual trauma and that's caused this. Um, alongside telling them that there is something that is inherently sinful that they need to repent of. Um, And it's extremely common, these ways of thinking, these mindsets. uh, And uh, uh, it it really leads when you tell people that there isn't something inherently wrong with them to a degree that you don't tell other people. Cause you know, Christians believe that we're all fallen. Uh, but when they tell queer people that they're fallen, they are, what they mean is that there is something unique about who you are that makes you fallen that nobody else has except you because you're queer. Um, and when you say that to a queer person, you are telling them that, that God doesn't love them the way they, for just being themselves, for just existing. Um, Mm -hmm. And that they have to find a way to um, change something that they cannot control. Um, And it it really, it really uh, just destroys so many queer people, Um, just really makes them believe that they, Um, have no life, have no future, that God will never love them, that they can never find love themselves. Um, And yeah, it just leads to terrible, terrible outcomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart, I I apologize for 
the way the church has treated you specifically since you're talking about your experience i you know just that just feeling you know in your in your own words what that would have felt like um, the dehumanization just of you being a person and then on the other side that you're some different breed of sinner or a different mm -hmm. breed of human because you know this is what your life has has come to or this mm -hmm. is what struggle or whatever you want to call it uh, you share with your pastor and you would expect the pastor to be open and have compassion and and hear your story versus these are all the things you need to do mm -hmm. to change or be better yeah. you know? and so yeah 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 um and i've 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 heard you I, I think it was uh, the episode you did with uh, with Tim from the New Evangelicals, mm -hmm. um, and and you 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 were talking on that specific you know episode you did with him that you know you you had done some work with Preston Sprinkle, and I, I love the way that that Preston Sprinkle says that um, the the church should be a place where we should be allowed to wrestle out loud with our sexuality, with mm -hmm. our, you know, our same sex attractions with, we should be able to be vulnerable and honest. And the, the church should be that inclusive place where, again, we, we should be allowed to wrestle out loud with these things and mm -hmm. still be seen as human, not, not this other, like Kyle was saying, this, this other breed of, of sinner, like, you know, like, and, and, and so I, I love the way that, that, that Preston has kind of framed that, um, yeah. that inclusion of the church and LGBTQ people. And yeah, so I, I, I love the way that you, you connected a lot of those dots from, from like uh, Freudian thought to how the church has picked it up today and how, you know, we've come to this point where people aren't, aren't allowed to wrestle out loud, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was just thinking like, um, of a conversation, you know, that we had offline, how we, we see LGBTQ people as this other breed, you know, of, of a center, like it's not humanized, right? Like it's, um, but then we have, you know, like, like the sexual abuse crisis that we have going on in the church, you mm -hmm. know, um, yep. we have high, high numbers of pastors that, that, and this is not a shame thing, but struggle mm -hmm. with pornography. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and then we say you as an LGBTQ person, you're not welcome into the kingdom of God. You know, mm -hmm. you're this other type of sinner. So, you know, we're going to marginalize you. You you need to go and get converted to a heterosexual. Yeah. And so, like like knowing the, those lines of thought that that you draw from Freudian thought, how the church has picked a lot of those up. Now, this culture of not allowed to wrestle out loud with you know our sexual things. You know, mm -hmm. um, what are what are kind of your thoughts on that? Where Again, we had this dynamic of we view LGBTQ people this way, and especially LGBTQ Christians within the church. Mm -hmm. And then we have this other side again, like sexual abuse in the church or mm -hmm. 
high, high struggles of pornography and the, all, all these, you know, other things like that. That's a tension, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that really stood out to me that I think is important to highlight is how people view how Christians so often view queer people. Um, and this gets to an element of identity, um, who queer people are and who Christians often see them to be. Um, and this is a, a big thing because when you know a gay person um, in the church tells another Christian um, that they are gay, oftentimes the first response is, how could you... How could you call yourself gay? How could you identify with sin? And uh, I want to like pause there and highlight what they just said. How can you identify as gay? How can you identify with sin? So in other words, many Christians see being gay as a synonym for being sinful, which gets to the heart of the matter is that Christians cannot understand how someone can be gay, can be queer without also being inherently sinful to the point where someone can't even name the fact that they are gay without a Christian automatically thinking that they are identifying with sin. Um, and it's, it's interesting because uh, um, the word gay, LGBTQ language in general, um, emerged in order to push back against these kind of stigmatizing mindsets mm. towards queer people. Um, it, when the word gay emerged, um, it emerged um, to resist the, the medical pathologizing that was going on um, in the first half of the 1900s. Um, and it was meant to push back about uh, against the word homosexual, the concept of homosexuality, and to assert um, gay people's humanity as people, as human beings, just like, you know, everybody else in the world. Um, And it's so interesting because Christians are so resistant to that idea. I shouldn't say Christians, you know, I shouldn't speak in generalities. Many Christians are so resistant to that idea that um, they cannot see um, how uh, how someone um, can say that they are gay um, and and not be saying that they are sinful. And a lot of people think that the word gay um, is, you know, gay people trying to just identify with sex. Um, and that's not the case. LGBTQ language has always emerged in the context of pushing back against stigma, against the assumptions of society. Um, and queer theory in particular uh, provides some of the strongest critiques against Freudian psychology, uh, provides some of the strongest critiques on sexual orientation um, and the idea and the and the simplicity, the reductionism that our society often um, attaches to sexual identity. Queer theory um, provides some of the strongest critiques of that. Um, and you wouldn't know that talking to Christians oftentimes because um, the narrative that you often have spinned in the church is that queer theory is responsible 
for people identifying with their with their desires for sex. Queer theory is responsible for sexual orientation. And it's just so ironic to me because queer theory developed to push back against those concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love that you brought up um, just how Christians view this, uh, this entire situation and queer people in general, um, because that in and of itself is, is such a battle, um, to get people to just reverse their mindsets, um, uh, towards, um, queer, queer thinking, um, queer identity, like why LGBTQ language, um, is necessary for queer people to describe their experience in the world and push back against stigmatization. Um, you know, there's so many mindsets that are the result of, um, so much ignorance just about the queer community, uh, that really, um, there needs to be so much more education to create understanding um, so that people uh, aren't approaching this conversation from a a position that is just is wrong um, and often harmful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I love how just, and this is kind of the language I use a lot of times when we, we conflate all these issues, like mm-hmm. what, what, what like heterosexual norms and same-sex attraction versus homosexual, all these things we, we conflate mm-hmm. to be one and the same. And so I, I love when I, when I have conversations with people about, because we're, we're so divided and, and, and are specifically, I'm, I'm speaking to American Christians. Um, we're so set in our way. This is how we view something, the religious gatekeepers. This is, this is how it is. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is that what, what, re- what brings hope to me and what revives me about believing in Christ and the gospel is that the gospel is an equalizer. Mm-hmm. There, there's not this sect of people that don't fit this. Oh, well, we're better. Or this sense, mm-hmm. or this is, you know, yeah. all these issues. And the reality is, is that the gospel is very clear and equalizing that we are all on this place of trying to figure things out. We're, we're, we're you know, we're yeah. both, we, we live in this world that there's trouble, there's trial, there's, there's all these different things we have to figure out. And so yeah. using that language to, to really push the envelope and saying, we have to change our way of thinking when we think yeah. of issues and not just conflate them to one side or the other, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I see a lot um, within yeah. the American church specifically, you mm-hmm. know, so. Yeah. And just if on the, on the topic of the gospel, I think it's the great unifier within the Christian faith. And I think um, you have to come back to the gospel in this conversation and not in a simplistic way um, of like, you know, Jesus saves, you know, repent of your sin and he will save you, which is often, you know, what people give to queer people is, you know, you have to repent and be saved and, you know, just leave it at that repent of your sin, which is, you know, being gay, which is existing as a gay person. And, you know, then Jesus will save you. Not in that simplistic way, but in the gospel, as it actually is incarnated in the world, um, and that is really the unifying like denominator here. Um, and, you know, 
earlier, Jonathan, you talked about how this isn't about sides. This isn't about, you know, do you fall on the traditional perspective of marriage or the progressive perspective that affirms same-sex marriage? Um, That's not what this is about. Um, and I find that so important because, um, I'm someone, um, I, I often surprise people, um, because I'm a queer person who, um, nevertheless believes in the traditional perspective of marriage where marriage, um, God created marriage for, um, opposite sexes for the purpose of, creating new life of procreation. Um, And I hold to that perspective. And that often surprises people because I'm queer and there's kind of this expectation and this assumption that all queer people are these sexual liberationists um, fighting to tear down marriage and, you know, wear dildo hats and have, you know, these parades everywhere. You know, there's just that that stereotype. (laughs) Yeah, right. Oh, the stereotypes. Um, (laughs) But, you know, queer people are varied and diverse, just like anybody else with different beliefs and different practices. And, um, Mm -hmm. and ultimately at the end of the day, um, how you define marriage is not a deal breaker for whether or not you get into heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how you define the definition of marriage is believe it or not, not an essential doctrine to the Christian faith. Is it important? 100%. Um, Mm -hmm. Is, is it an issue that is worth talking about, that's worth debating, that has monumental implications for how you live your life, 100%? Um, is it an essential part of the gospel message of getting into heaven? It's not. Um, and so, you know, I, I really think that we need to, um, especially in this time and place in this historical moment kind of set down uh, the um, ways in which we cling to our positions, even though they are important, um, and embrace the fact that regardless of where you stand on that question, um, we are siblings in Christ, um, and we're going to have to live with each other in heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we better start figuring out how to get along down here um, because we've got the rest of forever (laughs) to be living together. And so, you know, I think that's just so important. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the old saying goes, I mean, it's a cliche, but you'll be surprised who you see in heaven, you know, like Mm -hmm. you you see this person, Oh, they'll never make it there, you know, but you'll be very surprised to see that, you know, Mm -hmm. God knows the heart of a person, not us. And so that's just, yeah, so such a just a a, realiz- a realization that you have to kind of tell yourself, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I know that you uh, talked a little bit about uh, some of your experience experiences within the church. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about kind of uh, those experiences uh, identifying in the LGBT community? Um, what experiences you've you've kind of overall experienced, and how that has brought you to where you are today? Uh, specifically, what are some things maybe if you feel comfortable sharing some of the the, the traumas and things like that that, that have come up um, because of those experiences that you've experienced in the actual Christian church? Yeah. Um, well, I, I grew up in a Reformed Baptist church. 
which um, I remain grateful for to this day. Um, it was overwhelmingly a positive experience. Um, it, you know, really laid a strong foundation in understanding theology for me. It laid a strong foundation in faith. Um, you know, overwhelmingly, I'm grateful for that context that I grew up in. Um, at the same time, though, when I was growing up in this context, I can't say that queerness was ever like homosexuality, things like that was ever directly talked about, but it was often referred to and always in the context of sin, hell, God's wrath. Uh, and one sermon stands out to me in particular that for some reason I really, um, really just left a mark on me as a young kid um, and kind of established the way I thought about gay people and just queer people in general. Um, and the pastor was preaching a sermon um, on the passage in scripture um, where uh, um, the Bible talks about vessels of wrath um, prepared by God for destruction. And the sermon wasn't about queer people, but um, queer people were referenced as an example of this. Mm. Um, and he explained that queer people um, willingly chose to rebel against God and embrace their sin. And because they chose their sin over God, God decided to punish them by giving them homosexual attractions so that they would continue in their sin. Um, and that as a result, queer people are vessels of wrath that are destined for eternal damnation um, because they... Uh, willingly chose to choose their sin over God. Um, and that just like, that was, that was it. That's how I thought about queer people for years and years and years. Cause I didn't know that I was queer. Um, I had no idea. Um, and so, you know, the idea that I had of them was that they just, they chose their sin and that's how God punished them for choosing their sin. Um, and so when I figured out that I was attracted to women, it was a complete and total shock. And, um, the, the first reaction that I had was to like search my life for some kind of sin that I had chosen that I needed to repent of. Uh, and it was a, a I guess, debilitating process because, you know, if you search long enough, you're going to find sin, you know, here, there, and everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and like you start becoming just obsessed with it and repenting of everything under the sun and your whole life just starts revolving around the sin in your life. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like everybody has sins that they need to repent of that they're not dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when you're queer and you're told that you're willingly choosing to embrace your sin and that's why you're homosexual, um, 
you you legitimately if you become obsessed with rooting out your sin um, and finding every little thing um, that you can repent of. And it's just it's it's very twisted because if um, unrepentant sin is what causes people to become homosexual, uh, then we'd all be gay. <laughs> yeah. Every last one of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. So obviously that's not what it is, but you know, I um, really had to, it took me a while to get there and to realize that. Um, and I had so many fears that, um, like I, was as a result of being gay, as a result of being attracted to women, um, that there was no way that I could live a life that was pleasing to God. Um, and that I was destined that I, that God had made me to be a vessel of wrath. And therefore, even though I loved him now, um, because I was attracted to women, clearly, um, I was down a path to reject him because I had already chosen to reject him. Um, I just didn't know it yet. Um, but I, I was clearly destined for this and, um, just really destroyed me inside, destroyed me spiritually. It was really just awful. Mm. Um, and it just, I think for me, I had to, really, again, to what we were talking about, come back to the truth of the gospel, um, come back to the realization. Um, one verse especially comforted me during this time um, was the verse that talks about how nothing can separate us from the love of God. Um, and I realized that that applies even to who we're attracted to, um, which for some reason gets left out of so many Christians approach to sexuality. Um, but not even that, not even who you're attracted to can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that was, I guess, coming to that place in scripture was probably the real turning point for me. Um, and realizing that what I had been taught was wrong. Um, and that was the big thing, realizing that what I had been told was wrong and that I needed to start from scratch um, and figure out what God was really saying about who I was, um, who, what his will was for my life um, and how to follow him um, and, you know, leave out the messages of um, so many churches that were just toxic and ultimately denied the gospel in my life. Yeah, that that's, that's, that's powerful. Thanks for, you know, really sharing that. Um, and gosh, one, one thing that as, as I've kind of been on my own journey of, you know, exploring what, what I guess you would consider like the clobber passages on, mm -hmm homosexuality um like thing in genesis um was it leviticus i think there's one you know romans you know mm -hmm. and so i i think part of it honestly what i'm finding is you know contextually that people haven't actually done the work to understand mm -hmm. a lot of the things in scripture 
you know. Yeah. And yeah. so the word abomination is automatically tied to homosexuality, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, like you were the way that your pastor put it, you know, that that instrument of wrath, you know, mm-hmm. on, a, on a path for eternal damnation. Right. Like, and so I think part of it is just intellectually much of the contextual work hasn't been done to understand um, what what we've been taught scripturally for so long. Actually, a lot of it isn't true, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thanks again for sharing your story. Um, we believe on this podcast that, that stories are a powerful thing um, for um, our listeners, for people that – you know, that, that, that need help walking alongside people well. Um, and need hope, really. Need hope. Yeah. Pe- people that are walking through this, hearing somebody else's story is so, so powerful. Um, so we we appreciate that. We, we, we love sharing stories on this podcast. Um, good stuff. I want to move into um, some, some mental health disparities. Um, and I, let me pull up... Get it. I, I, I jotted down some some stuff from from NAMI, um, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, as far as LGBTQ and and and, and those disparities, I mean, you know, we, we we talked a little about a little bit about trauma, but you know, I mean, I've I've heard story after story after story um, of just deep trauma and mm-hmm. and self kind of self-hatred, self-deprecation of LGBTQ people, like within Mm -hmm. themselves, because of um, all the phobias that we have, um, Mm -hmm. bullying, discrimination, um, abuse. Some some other of the the disparities were that um, high school students, um, you know, and and then like, as I was reading this, I, I was just imagining you know, a student in high school going to their youth leader and being rejected by their youth leader because mm-hmm. they say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. Coming saying, hey, like, I just need somebody to see me and walk alongside me. But many times that doesn't happen. And so high school students who identify as gay lesbian or bisexual are four times more likely to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, studies done by NAMI, um, 40% of transgender adults have attempted suicide in their lifetime. And that's compared to less than 5% of the general U S population. Mm-hmm. Um, it's estimated that LGBTQ youth and young adults have um, a 20% higher risk of homelessness, um, you know, due to rejection of family members or, um, discrimination from, from communities and like, um, and the, the last one I jotted down, LGB adults are nearly twice as likely as heterosexual adults, um, to experience a substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, and these are, these are not just small disparities. The, these are Mm -hmm. big gaps, um, that, I mean, just breaks my heart. Um, and as a, as a podcast that, you know, kind of focuses on and talks about not only people's stories and walk alongside people, but talks about mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And I think especially with 
with these gaps that we see huge gaps, like I said, we need to care about that. Yeah. Um, we need to care about these mental health disparities. What, what kind of in, 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 in your, your walking through life as, um, as a queer Christian Bridget, like if, what disparities just may, maybe some of the ones that I pointed out, um, what kind of mental health disparities have, have you seen? What stories have you heard? And really how, how do we walk alongside people that, <laughs> that are in these gaps, right? That are, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, attempt suicide at higher rates because they're LGBTQ and they've been discriminated against or, you know, more likely to be homeless because they're rejected by a family member. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, what kind of stories have you heard? Like how, how do, how do we walk alongside people in these certain areas? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh my gosh, I have uh, so many stories. Um, I don't think I have a single friend, a single Christian queer friend that um, does not have a story to tell um, about the um, harm that they have experienced and the um, impact that that has had on their mental health. Uh, And when I was growing up, I was told that the reason why queer people um, had higher suicide rates, had mental health issues. Because these are things that have been, talk- been talked about that queer people have been trying to raise awareness about for generations for a very long time. Um, but the Christian response that I always heard was that they have those problems because of their sin. Um, but the reality is that those problems exist because of the church's sin mm. towards LGBTQ people. I do not know... Um, a single queer Christian um, that does not have a story to share about harm that they have experienced from other Christians um, that has not been the direct cause of mental health struggles that they currently have. Um, Do people have mental health struggles that are not the result of trauma, that are not the result of harm? Yes. Um, lots of people do every day. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having those experiences. Um, and you know, queer people have those too. Um, but the, but, but the church should not be responsible for causing people's trauma, for causing people's mental health struggles, Mm -hmm. um, the church is supposed to be a place where people find healing from those things. Mm. Um, and uh, I have so many friends with stories. It's just, it's unbelievable. When, one person that I know that stands out to me um, when they were um, a teen, their pastor um, preached a sermon um, about homosexuality and they thought that um, it sounded kind of like them. So they went up to the pastor and said, you know, I I listened to your sermon and I think those people that you were talking about, I think that is me. 
um, and they were seeking help from the pastor um, and the pastor responded and, and, and the person said, you know, I, I think that's me. Like, what can I do? Um, uh, you know, how can I fix this? Um, and the pastor responded, well, you know, I'll tell you what you can do. You can get yourself up and you can walk right on out of here and you can never come back. Um, and that kind of stuff has happened and continues to happen over and over and over again. Um, these are not like, you know, like rare occurrences. Um, they happen over and over and over and in the past year, just in, in this year, I should say alone, I know three people. I directly know three people who have, um, lost their jobs um, have been fired from Christian organizations just for being queer. Um, you know, they, they didn't know anything about their sex life. Um, and in fact, all of these people have been people who held to a traditional ethic. Um, but as soon as it was discovered that they were queer out, you're mm. fired. Um, mm. Yeah, it's just, it's constant. Um, I, another story, which I share in my book, um, and, and many of these stories I share in my book, um, is one friend was um, sexually molested as a child by um, a deacon in his church. And when it came out that this had been going on, he, not the man who was molesting him, this young teenage boy was blamed for his own molestation um, because he was gay, because the church knew that he was gay and had been known previously. Um, and so they blamed him for it. They um, blamed him for luring the deacon into sin. Um, and it's like, wow, how, how can this happen? Like what kind of twisted mindset can, can so many people have that leads them to make these conclusions? Um, and the, the impact on so many people is just so detrimental. Um, and, and yeah, many of these stories I share in my book, um, and, you know, go into detail about the impact of these things. Um, and yeah, it's just, you know, it needs to change. Yeah. Um, we need to do better. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, what can we do to do better? And, you know, I think it starts by uh, realizing that queer people are human beings mm -hmm. um, that are made in the image of God um, and that are precious in his sight uh, and that deserve to be treated as equal image bearers mm -hmm. as themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think, I think it starts there. Obviously we can go into way more, but it, it really starts there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bridget, for your time and just how diligent you are with sharing stories and you're, you're an advocate for the LGBTQ community. And we appreciate that. We appreciate your insight. Um, where could, can you direct us to some of the things that you're doing right now? What, what you could direct some of our listeners to and your book and things like that? Yeah. So you can follow me on social media at Traveling Nun. I am on Twitter 
I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. So follow me in all the places. Um, and then also the big thing is my book that's coming out October 26th. And um, if you want, please give it a pre-order. Um, pre-orders really help um, books to succeed and um, really just give it a boost. Um, and so, you know, if you want, go ahead and pre-order it. You can find links on my website uh, .com. Um, you can also just go to Amazon, type in heavy burdens by Bridget Eileen Rivera, and it'll pop right up if you want to pre-order it. Uh, and yeah, so, and then I have my blog as well, which you can access from my website if you wanted to check out some of my writing. Um, and so, yeah, you can find me in all those places. Perfect. And, um, I will make sure to have all those things in the show notes, your, your socials, your website, where people can find your book. So, so people can find you directly. Um, awesome. Well, um, as Kyle said, thank you again, Bridget, for your time, for just sharing just this wealth of knowledge and information and just, just really helping us frame a lot of these things where we can walk alongside and, and, and love LGBTQ people better better than we have moved forward. I, I think you've given us a really good start for a path forward. Um, so we, we, we really appreciate it. Um, awesome. Well, as always, um, if you guys enjoyed this episode, um, leave us um, a review, subscribe. Um, don't forget to check out um, Bridget's socials in the show notes. Uh, Pre-order that book. What's did, did you say the official re release date? It was October... October 26th. 26th. So look out for heavy burdens and we will catch you guys on the next episode.